Now let's go over and say hello to my guest standing by, Chris Hedges. Chris is one of America's most insightful cultural critics and authors. For almost 20 years, he was a foreign correspondent in war zones and conflicts in Central America, the Middle East, Africa, and the Balkans. He reported for the New York Times, the Christian Science Monitor, and other outlets. While at the Times, Chris received the 2002 Pulitzer Prize for reporting on global terrorism. The same year, he received Amnesty International's Golden or Global Award for Human Rights Journalism. Chris has written a new book, co-written with the renowned cartoonist and, and author Joe Sasko. It's called Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt, which takes a hard look at areas in the United States that are the sacrifice zones where the well-being of people have been most impoverished in the name of profit and progress. He also writes Wiki Com for the award-winning political blog Truth Dig. Nice to have you back with us, Chris. Thank you, Gary. Chris, I'd like to open our discussion by just referring to a few news accounts today that are not getting the type of contextual analysis that you would give, and I'd like for you to give them because I believe they tie in to your larger message, which we'll get to, all right? Sure. This comes from Bloomberg, uh, from Adi Nirana, and it says, Early death assured in India, where 900 million people don't eat enough. And then it goes on to talk about how 900 million people in India are simply dying from neglect, even though there's lots of wealth there and there's lots of globalized globalization and privatization, but the country and the world community doesn't seem to think that the 900 million poor are of value. The second one comes from the New York Times, the international page, from Rachel um, Domedito, and it says the following, Dread and uncertainty pervade life in a diminished Greece. And I'll just read the first paragraph. Any place else, they might be signs of progress. uh, Traffic moves faster on once-clogged streets. Cigarette smoking has dropped sharply. And far less garbage is picked up and heads for landfills each day. But this is Athens, and the statistics are grim reminders of a middle-class society in rapid decline. Many fear that elections, including voting scheduled for Sunday, offer no clear route out of a deepening political and economic crisis. From its wealthy northern suburbs to the concrete blocks of downtown, there's a sense of an in-game in Athens. Quote, it's the last days of Pompeii, said co-director of Deadocracy, a provocative documentary about the Greek crisis, as he stood, drink in hand, outside of a cafe in a graffiti-filled neighborhood who whose nightlife remains a rare pocket of defiant joy among the unremitting gloom. For many Greeks, the question is not which party will win. The next months and years will be difficult no matter which government is in charge. Then we go to the New York Post. There's a picture of six legislators. It says, A Viewer's Guide to... to, uh, J.P. Morgan Chafe's uh, Jamie Dimon uh, hearing, and it shows Michael Bennett, Democrat of Colorado, received $2.5 million from Dimon's bank. Robert Mendez, Democrat from New Jersey, $2.3 million. Charles Schumer, Democrat from New York, $5.6 million he received from this bank. 
Richard Shelby, $2.5 million, Republican of Alabama. Bob Corker, Republican of Tennessee, $3.4 million. And Robert Weicker, uh, Republican of Mississippi, $1.5 million. And if you heard any of it yesterday, they threw the softest balls at this guy and did not hold him accountable, nor did they question his, the company's position in derivatives, which is a staggering $166 trillion. Staggering. And yet, that wasn't even discussed. So, uh, and then finally, <clears throat> uh, there is this from, and we can thank the good people at Public Citizen for this, Controversial trade pact text leaked shows U.S. trade officials have agreed to terms that undermine Obama domestic agenda. A leak today of one of the most controversial uh, chapters of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, reveals that extreme provisions have been agreed to by U.S. officials, providing a stark warning about the dangers of trade negotiations occurring under conditions of extreme secrecy without press, public, or policy oversight. The outrageous stuff in this leaked text may well be why U.S. trade officials have been so extremely secretive about these past two years of TPP negotiations, said Lori Wallach, Director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Now, no point anywhere in the United States that I can find, and I just did a, a, a two-month search, is there a single article anywhere asking, why do we need a World Trade Organization? Why aren't we looking at structural adjustment? What does our policies in the United States, combined with others, on free trade mean to the people in every country of the world? And does it benefit them or Americans? No discussion at all. Now, that's it on my end. Would you then take us through your observations from the cities that you have visited in, 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 in the United States, including some of the most impoverished? And by the way, I, I regularly go to Immokalee uh, all the time. I Probably uh, 300 times I've been to Immokalee. Um, I, in, in Florida, I am very familiar with Welch, West Virginia, because I grew up in Parkersburg, and I just sent a truckload of food, organic brown rice, over to Father Doyle at the Sacred Heart Church last week. I do this as regularly as I can to help his parishioners. I haven't been to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, South Dakota, but I'm going to be filming there this summer. So your thoughts now on what you've discovered about what it means to be left out of any consideration of charity, compassion, care, or even subsistence existence. The form is yours. Well, first, let me respond to the news stories you read, because they have a common theme, uh, and that is our elected officials are corporate employees. They serve the interests of the banks, not the citizenry. Uh, and that is as true in Greece as it is in Spain, as it is in the United States, as it is in Ireland, as it is in Britain, as it is anywhere else. Um, and that's the problem. Uh, the, uh, we are witnessing or experiencing the collapse of globalization. Uh, all of the utopian promises uh, that were made by the proponents of globalization have not only turned out to be a lie, uh, but uh, the uh, the mass of uh, human beings who uh, have suffered at the hands of a globalized economy are now realizing that it is a lie. Uh, and so we're at a very volatile moment, uh, not only in American history, uh, but in world history. Uh, we just saw today, for instance, uh, uh, the uh, Egyptian courts uh, 
in, you know, shut down the Egyptian parliament uh, because uh, the nature of the opposition, which was expressed through Islamist parties, was unpalatable to the elite, uh, to the military elite, but more importantly to the corporate elite. Um, it's all, uh, you know, it's the same puzzle. Uh, and the effects are the same, uh, because what is happening is that we are reconfiguring the global economy into a form of neo-feudalism. Uh, and Joe Sacco and I, uh, whose books, uh, for those listeners who don't know them, are really remarkable pieces of graphic art and graphic journalism, uh, Palestine and, and uh, footnotes in Gaza and uh, garaged uh, uh, out of uh, the war in Bosnia where we met in 1995. We went to the poorest places in the United States. I know you've been to several of them, including Camden, which per capita is the poorest city in the United States and always uh, ranks one or two usually as the most dangerous, not surprisingly, um, because uh, these sacrifice zones went first. Uh, these are areas where there is no impediment to corporate capitalism. Uh, politicians are bought off. Uh, citizens are disempowered. Uh, there's no environmental control, and all of these places are environmental nightmares, uh, especially West Virginia, where we've allowed the coal companies to blast the top 400 feet off of mountains because they don't want to dig down anymore for the coal seams and leave behind uh, a ruined, poisoned wasteland. Uh, you, you fly, as Joe and I did, uh, over the Appalachian Mountains, and it just rips your heart out when you see what we've done. And, and you can only get a sense of the scale of the devastation from the air. In the same way, interestingly, that you could only get a sense of the devastation in the war in Bosnia, uh, where Joe and I both were, when you got up in a helicopter and looked at village after village after village that had been dynamited into rubble. And you go into these old coal camps, and I know you have in McDowell, County and other places, and it looks like Bosnia. Places like Jenkins Jones, you you drive down the street, and it's uh, you know the houses have been abandoned. Uh, eventually, arsonists come in. It's just one spindly chimney amid charred wreckage, uh, one after the other. Uh, and those that have not been able to get out have largely descended into substance abuse, oxycotton, they call it hillbilly heroin. Uh, people are just taking staggering amounts of opiates uh, to try and cope with the pain. I mean, the, the two ways uh, that you respond to this kind of misery, we found if there was one sort of common thread in all the places we went to, was uh, finding meaning through uh, religious life, and not necessarily Christian, because on Pine Ridge it is a retreat into the embrace of traditional Lakota religion uh, that has been able to save you. Uh, sweat lodges, we went to a Sundance, very, very moving, four days of fasting and, and, uh, and prayer and dancing, including uh, small flesh offerings at the end, uh, and you're watching these men uh, and women, but but men dance around uh, the the central tree, which is festooned with ribbons, uh, and they're covered with prison tattoos. And I mean, they're they're just hanging on by their fingertips, and that sort of corporate leviathan uh, has now been unleashed upon the rest of us. Uh, you uh, read a passage uh, from a New York Times story about Athens, about the decline of the middle class. Well, uh, of course, it's more pronounced in countries like Athens, but the same assault against the middle class is taking place within the United States. Uh, we're just one or two steps behind. Um, and 
and and what we are if we do not stop these corporate forces this kind of corporate coup d'etat uh... what we're going to end up with is a system an economic and a political system that replicates precisely the system of power outlined in george orwell's nineteen eighty four where you have an inner circle and let's go back again to the story you read about jamie diamond uh... where uh... he sits in this political theater uh, being questioned uh, by elected officials who uh, are on his payroll, who, who cannot sustain themselves in office without his largesse. Um, and so you have that inner circle of 2 to 3 percent of the inner party. You have the outer circle, that's corporate managers, public relations, uh, you know, 12, 15 percent, and the rest of us become proles. Uh, and that's that's where we're headed. Uh, and I think all of the news stories that you read, uh, you know, come at that reality from different angles, but but all uh, sort of descend to precisely that point. And what Joe and I set out to do, and we've been working two years on this book, and 50 pages of the book are illustrations and and uh, panels, comic panels, so that you know, for instance, when we interview a 90-year-old miner in southern West Virginia, Joe is able to draw out his life. Uh, he enters the mines when his father is a teenager, when his father is killed in a mine accident. The mine is not unionized. It's not even mechanized. The only time he ever leaves West Virginia is when he's drafted in World War II. He's wounded at the Battle of the Bulge. He comes back. Uh, and, and you can visually see uh, what's happened. He does the same thing in Camden, New Jersey, where he goes back with a guy, uh, Joe Balzano, and, and sadly both Joe and Rudy have died since we did the book, um, and uh, and he recreates what Camden was, which and of course it was an industrial hub uh, in the 1950s. 36,000 people alone found jobs in the shipyards, and as you know from being in Camden, it is a completely dead city. They they don't make anything. Whole blocks of Camden have just been abandoned. And 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 I think the the importance of doing the book with Joe Sacco is that he makes it visible. Um, because these sacrifice zones, courtesy of our corporate media, are utterly invisible. We never see them. Uh, we never hear the voices from these zones. The only time poor people make it onto the corporate airwaves is when they're on, uh, you know, Jersey Shore, Jerry Spring, or something, where we make fun of them, where we laugh at them, where we ridicule them, uh, uh, or the working class, let's say. Uh, and so um, this book is at once, of course, it's a heavily reported book, um, but it's it's at once a warning um, that you know our uh, failure uh, in, in sort of uh, uh, biblical terms to deal with the suffering of the other, with Native Americans, African Americans in the inner city, the unemployed coal miners, uh, the undocumented workers who pick our produce, uh, is. Uh, you know that that this plight of the underclass, those who are, uh, in biblical terms, called our neighbor, uh, that we failed them, uh, and that in doing so, ultimately we failed ourselves because they went first, uh, and now we're next, uh, and we better take a very close look at is what it, what has happened to these communities, what has happened to the environment where they live, um, because if we do not stop the corporate leviathan, uh, they will destroy. Uh, you know, any kind of uh, democratic uh, possibility. Oligarchic states cannot be democratic. And finally, they will crush and destroy the ecosystem on which we depend for life. And there was a very frightening piece 
in Nature magazine where they interviewed top climate scientists who talked about just utter global collapse of the ecosystem and making life for human beings on the planet completely unsustainable, hundreds of millions of people. Uh, And, uh, you know, whether that's a dramatic picture of where we're going or not, there's no question that the continued ability of the fossil fuel industry uh, to degrade uh, the, the, the ecosystem on which we depend for life is a death sentence. And it's a death sentence uh, that is carried out uh, in the name of short-term quarterly profits. So people like Jamie Dimond uh, and uh, Lloyd Blankfein at Goldman Sachs and Robert Rubin and and the others can amass hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, it, it it is it is uh, you know it's it's collective suicide. Um, and, and I think that if there's one fundamental message to the book, uh, it's that you know the extinguishing or the the uh, the in many ways the sort of execution of these communities because they're not coming back. Um, is uh, should be a kind of forewarning that if we don't radically reconfigure our relationships to each other and our relationship to the environment itself, it's just going to be Easter Island writ large uh, across the planet because this time when we go down, everyone's going to go down with us. I appreciate that overview. Uh, one final question. I'm looking around the United States and been out for almost a half a year filming in over 27 states, dozens and dozens of cities, thousands of individuals. None of them are present in any of the conversations, meaning their needs. 12 million senior citizens who are just struggling at the poverty level, but there's no activity on their behalf. 100 million uh, working poor who sometimes have a job, sometimes don't. When they do work, it's generally way below their their qualification skills, and they're looking at the quality of their life slipping through their fingers. I can't tell you how many times people have showed me where they once had uh, jewelry uh, from their marriage. A woman told me, and these are just middle-class people, that every year on their anniversary, her husband would get her something, and then she had to sell all that. She had to sell everything, and now she lives in one room at their house, I'm seeing children everywhere who are hungry, literally don't have any food at all uh, except what is contributed to them. Yet on the other side, so, so we're talking about over 245 million people, the best estimate that I can determine, who are really struggling, and life is never coming back for them. On the other hand, we have about 70 million Americans who are doing very well, and based upon living in either gated communities or affluent neighborhoods, the Upper West Side, the Upper East Side, um, downtown, Tribeca, uh, in different suburbs around the United States, uh, they will not see any of this, but they don't want to see this. And, and yet, here we have a Republican Party that says it's for constitutional protections, and yet I've never seen a group of Republicans so willing to give up constitutional rights, and they won't answer questions about why are you allowing habeas corpus and these other, the National Defense Authorization Act, and they are blank on that. On the other end of it, you have the liberals, at least the corporate liberals, the, the, the Clinton liberals, the Obama liberals, who will say we're for unions, we're for the people, we're for the poor, we want to, and they're not doing a thing to help any of these people. How do you make this understandable that at a certain point you tip? At a certain point, you simply lose it. 
And right now, no one in the media, left or right, is willing to acknowledge that the work of yourself or others is inspiring people to take control of their lives and fight back. Instead, they're looking at anyone who causes demonstrations to occur or any uh, pushback to gain our rights or dignity or jobs or equality is considered a, a provocateur that belongs immediately on some Homeland Security or FBI uh, watch list or terrorist list. And they're not fighting it. I don't see Rachel Maddow. I don't see Keith Urban. I don't see these people saying, I'm going to ask my audience, a million of them, to join me in front of the White House to protest. I haven't seen any of these people getting arrested. I haven't seen any of these people putting their ass on the line. I think there's just rank hypocrisy on the left and the right, corporate left and right. Your thoughts, please. Well, of course. I mean, let's name them for what they are. And I'm talking about MSNBC as well as Fox. They're courtiers. Uh, They are purveyors of court gossip. Uh, they spin it from a different direction, but they talk about the same inanities, the same trivia, the same absurdities. Uh, you know, what uh, Sarah Palin said today or what Newt Gingrich said today. or um, You know, they have a different take on it. Uh, but the real issues, which you've raised, of course, that affect the lives of the mass of the citizenry, uh, never makes it into the discourse. Uh, these people are entertainers, uh, people like Ed Schultz and... Rachel Maddow and Lawrence O'Donnell, they, they make millions of dollars. Uh, they attract the same corporate advertisers. Uh, and it's all the hollow sort of what Benjamin Mott, DeMott called these, this junk politics. Uh, and as you know, I sued uh, Barack Obama and Leon Panetta in federal court over Section 1021 of the National Defense Authorization Act, which President Obama signed on December 31st, New Year's, of course, when people weren't looking, that permits the U.S. military uh, to uh, seize American citizens, uh, hold them in military facilities, including in our offshore penal colonies, without access to due process. Uh, In the language of uh, this section of the National Defense Authorization Act, until quote-unquote, the end of hostilities, whenever that is. Uh, it is just such an egregious uh, and flagrant violation of basic constitutional rights. And yet it was signed into law by a Democratic president uh, and had bipartisan support. The bill was actually sponsored by uh, Carl Levin, a Democrat, and uh, John McCain, a Republican. Uh, and, you know, uh, fortunately for the citizenry, uh, we ended up getting this amazing judge, Catherine Forrest, who uh, issued an injunction against the law and, in essence, invalidated it as unconstitutional. And now we're waiting to see whether the uh, government will appeal, which means that it goes to an appellate court. If the appellate court upholds Judge Forrest's ruling uh, uh, and the government appeals, it will go to the Supreme Court. But let's be clear how. The Supreme Court is stacked, uh, and it's not stacked in favor of the citizen. It's stacked in favor of the corporate and the security and surveillance state. Um, and you're right. They're, they're, they're not fighting back on, on the most basic, the most fundamental issues. Uh, and, and what frightens me is that there is uh, such a massive rewriting of the legal code uh, and such a handing of egregious and unchecked power to uh, the state that and eventually of course these corporations know only one word which is more uh there will uh, not only uh, uh be a backlash uh but there will uh you know in many many parts of the country be an uprising um 
and they have essentially the state has essentially accrued the kind of power by which uh, all of us uh, can be uh, instantly stripped of any kind of protection, uh, where legitimate dissent, and we saw that Rahm Emanuel do this in Chicago, uh, in essence becomes criminal activity. Uh, and that's what's so frightening, that, 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 that in a period when we can fight back, as, as we did uh, by challenging Section 1021 of the NDAA, you're right. Nobody's fighting back, and and MSNBC was not uh, attacking, uh, you know, this uh, provision within the NDAA uh, any more than anyone else, uh, because uh, you know it's it's their corporate benefactors uh, essentially don't want them to. I mean, what, you know, what's happened in sort of discourse, mainstream discourse, which is now completely corporate dominated. It, it reminds me of the old uh, line Dorothy Parker made about uh, Catherine Hepburn's uh, emotional range as an actress. She said it ranged from A to B. Uh, and that's precisely what's permissible. Uh, we saw it you know, on the health care debate. We see it on so many debates. Uh, uh, and But step outside that narrow parameter, and you're right, you, you become a pariah uh, and uh, a provocateur, uh, and, and and you're silenced. And I think that you know there are many um, uh, struggles, and and uh, you know the, there there were things within the Occupy movement that didn't work, uh, but uh, its greatest strength was that it at least raised those issues. Uh, and and those are the issues most Americans care about. But you're never going to hear them on the airwaves, and that doesn't. You're exactly right, Gary. It doesn't matter whether that's the so-called left on MSNBC or the proto-fascists who run Fox News. Chris, I wish you all the best with Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt from Nation Books, uh, for you and your co-author uh, Joe Sacco. Um, we look forward to our next conversation. <laughs> 